Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Grassroots Church Roundtable Podcast, a podcast that is a discussion between a couple of local church leaders. Today, we are back in the 1689, Chapter 2, Paragraph 2. It's going to be great. I know it's going to be great because Darren and I just left a while being talking about it, got so fired up, we had to scooch on over here to the theater to record. Speaking of Darren, he's here with me. My name is Adam. We're a couple of elders in Grassroots Church in the Greenbrier Valley. And I, not that anybody cares, did not get a fourth cup of coffee. And I got tea. Progress, my friend. Oh, I thought you were getting hot chocolate. I thought about it. (laughs) And it sounded delicious. But then I thought about caffeine. And then I thought about our friends tuning in right now. They don't need they don't need hot chocolate, Adam. They need tea, Adam. I'm pretentious, smarter, like tea drinkers are. I was gonna say, is that sophisticated, Adam? Hey, friends, do you prefer tea or coffee? If you are a tea connoisseur, or if you have any type of comments, feedback, grassrootswv.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, call us, text us, come grab a cup of coffee with us. Dang it, just be on the podcast at this point. I I was thinking back. You you remember when we were doing uh, we we used to record up on the stage, and Garrett and Holly McCormick came in because they were going to do oh, some work. Great and they, people, great live audience. They impromptu became like our live audience, and they actually interacted with us. That was fun. And that's when I found out that Holly has family in Maryland. And you had to quit talking about Maryland. Hey, I'm, I'm actually concerned about Maryland. Heard the other day that because of the change of the ocean temperatures, that Blue crab, it's on the decline. Now Maryland's got this surplus of Old Bay. God bless you, Maryland. What are you going to do without those crabs? Put it on chicken. <laughs> Old Bay's just good. Old Bay is really good. Old Bay's really, I love the smell of it. Like, it's very distinct. It's great. Well, Darren, how you doing? Good. I uh, had a couple days away in Beckley. Uh, getting ready for our Exodus series, and so I feel prepared now. That kicks off next month, and um, I have grown to love the book of Exodus even more, and here's why. When we decided to preach through that this year, we all know the story of Exodus, but here's something that's in Exodus that I have overlooked literally until now, so my entire life. God telling the children of Israel how the tabernacle should look, what should should be used to make it, the rules, there's regulations as as his children, uh, priests, what they should wear. Do you know what I realize we get to dig into, you, myself, Mark, as we dig into that to preach that? Do you know what we get to dig into? Ancient archaeology. Well, actually, yes. I've already been digging into that, too. Sorry, see the pun there? Digging into it? Oh, I see what you said there. Uh, we get to dig into the why. Why? What do we learn about the character of God from the law that he placed on his people? Like, I'm really excited to dig Do you in. have the answer, or is that your question going into it? That is, when I got away, as I started to study it out and break down the weeks, the lineup, um, I started realizing, like, that's what we're going to answer each week that we're in that portion is it's not like, well, here's what God said. All right, y'all, it's been a great Sunday. Why? How does this reflect his character? 
How does this set his people apart, him having them act this way or follow these rules? I'm really excited to dig into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well. You know, I haven't hidden. We're, we're unified, you, I, and Mark are unified and going through the book of Exodus. Very excited about it myself. I threw Joshua uh, out a while ago, which I'm pretty open about because I love it. Uh, listen, friends, like read the book of Joshua. It's very interesting. It's very action-packed. It's the precursor to Judges. If that, <laughs> if that tells you, that yeah. should tell you enough uh, from the get-go. But this Sunday, teacher from Joshua chapter 1, it's like spoiler alerts. <laughs> and we're going to go through Exodus in a few weeks and uh, I'm going to run it for you all. But that that's one of the most satisfying parts about teaching on Sunday and preparing for a sermon is that you don't, like, who knows? Like, I don't know where this is going to go. It's like, man, this is the right thing to do. This is the right path. We know that. Where where are the chips going to fall? I don't know. And usually, I feel like by the time we get halfway through a series, we know. And then it's like, ah, like it's making sense. It's practical. We can see it. Yeah, I, I finally figured out, because you know we always do, it's either like a title and then a study in the book of, you know, what First Corinthians, First Peter, so, or we just call it the book, and there's like a tagline. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just got done with Christus Victor, a study in the book of Colossians. Before that, we had faithful God, fallen, fallen people, faithful God, studying the book of Judges. Um, now we're going to be in Exodus, and I finally figured out what it's what it it's called. It makes sense. Yes. Remember a couple years ago whenever we recorded a podcast? Friends, y'all can go check it out about favorite books of the Bible, our favorite books of the Bible, and least favorite books, and not like, oh, like Genesis is my least favorite book. I'll never go to Genesis. It's like, no, it's just challenging because it's like I've read it so much. For me, all the books that I put up there <laughs> for my least favorite, Genesis, Revelation, uh, Psalms, Job, I forgot the other one. Now, with the Job is still an interesting book to me. It's like I'm not going to go. It's you know, it's like well, I need some encouragement. Let's read through Job. Oh, look, everything is. It's you know, it's an interesting book. It's unique, not my go-to, but it's there and it's good. The other books, though, I have throughout the past year spent more time and had more fun reading through Genesis over and over and over again in Revelation. I love the Psalms. I actually taught on it at small group, Psalm 139, where you know David. He asked God to come into his thoughts. Like, man, how often? That's crazy. God knows our thoughts. And then David says, hey, be, be my thought life. But Christians ask that. Do y'all, hey, friends, y'all invite Jesus into your brain? Because he's there already. It's just, so it's funny to me, most of the books, like four out of the five that I mentioned, I have spent more time in. <laughs> we just avoid Revelation. Than before. Dude, Revelation, so I read through it a few weeks ago. It's like, I don't want any... I don't want any uh, prejudiced emotion coming towards it because I think that's the problem with Revelation. We already have expectations. It's like we're always trying to prove something, more often than not. But it's like, no, I want to be blessed by this. I want to learn and I want to meditate on it. I'm just going to read through the book of Re- Oh, my gosh, it's so... It's so, so Revelation's packed. Great. Action-packed, confusing, uh, so much. But if you were to say Revelation to the church, like you're saying, hey, grassroots church... Revelation, in one quick line, the point of Revelation is victory. Whose? 
God's victory yeah. that he brings us along on. Because, you know, and it's true. I've been a Christian most of my life, Darren, but I have, I'll be honest. Like, most of the time that I've gone through Revelation, you know, you hear about God's judgment and his wrath being poured out on that which is unrighteous people and judgment. There's an air of fear that I have through that. It's like, oh, I hope that, like, you know, I believe in God. I don't want to be one of those guys who absorbs God's wrath. Um, <coughs> that's one way to read it, fear-driven. A better way to read it is like, you know, I believe in God. I believe in his word. He says he will save those who believe in him. I can trust in him. And you start reading through it. It's like, oh, my goodness. I do deserve that, but I'm not getting, oh, wait. So righteousness gets cleaned up and things get, dude, this is great. And it's like how many, how many different mental images Revelation is saying, can, John is saying and writing it of like, how many different types of images can I use to show you how awesome it is that Here, unrighteousness is? Here's being one cleansed. for you. That's good. Revelation is about the, the wrath of God poured out on evil and the grace of God continuing to show to his people. And I sat here thinking it's when. Aragorn and the the people with him show up to uh, Edoras. No, uh, the ghost people, Gondor. I don't know. No, Aragorn uh, shows up with people quite a few times. Yeah, but he shows up uh, with uh, Gandalf at um, Isengard, and they're in front of Orthanc and. Yeah. Treebeard says, the filth of Saruman is washing away. Trees will come back here. And I'm looking mm. at that going, Revelation is the the filth of Satan and rebellion is washing away. This ties in so close to the conversation we just left at the Wild Bean. And oh. friends, I'll ask you the same question. Looking for I'm going to plant a seed before we get into 1689 chapter 2, paragraph 2. 2.2. Are are you driven out of fear or love? Like to go to go to the book of Revelation in fear compared to go out of the into the book of Revelation with love, it's completely different experience. And I said before we left, and I guess we can open up the topic by going back to that conversation, fear love is a much better motivation than fear. Now, there is a fear of the Lord, a respect for the Lord. I, and I'm pretty sure that the 1689 is kind of touching on that reason why we should fear, revere, and be awestruck by God in so many ways. That's a healthy fear, like, oh, he's in control of everything. But we shouldn't be motivated, like, man, Jesus paid my sin debt. Like, I don't have to be afraid of being crushed. I mean, if God wanted to, he could, but he knows what's right, and what's right happens just being motivated out of love of God, avoiding sin because it's not of God. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue his holiness versus, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid if I mess up, he's going to crush me, which he might, but he has every right to do that. But he, again, it's a faith thing. It's like, you do what you got to do, God. So fear is a much better motivator than love. Take it to Revelation and you'll see what I'm talking about. Friends. Before we get into our topic, can I, can I give a challenge? Absolutely. Took yes. us a while to to pay up on the last challenge. We owed Jerry a cup of coffee, and he did tell me that you finally came through on that on our behalf. Hey, I'm like, uh, who is it that always pays their debts? Oh, sorry, Game of Thrones. Right? Oh, gosh. I was like, where did I hear that? Uh, Bailey's always pay our debts. 
so here's one for all the listeners. First person to text us, we owe you uh, uh, any any cup of coffee at the Bean that you fancy. Ooh. Uh, yeah, any cup of coffee. I, of course, prefer the Brevet as my treat, and I just get the mug if I don't get a Brevet. But um, here's what I ask. What are the two vision words for 2023 for Grassroots Church. I taught on them Sunday in our video while we couldn't be together, did a live stream and taught on them. And then the vision video we released as elders yesterday have them. So first person to text me with the two words, I owe you. I owe you. Not Adam. This isn't Adam. This is all me. No, you don't don't want me to do it. This is all me. I'll catch you up in a couple years. I owe (laughs) you. Sorry, Jerry. So text me. Hey, but you know what? All right. So maybe you can make the argument that I should have provided unto Jerry what is due him sooner. But one, Jerry, you're a cool guy. Thank you for not holding it and lording it over he me. He patiently and two, You did, man. That's awesome. I was, I was testing. No, I wasn't. I don't think that far ahead. But you think about like the, the year and a half, the two years that we had talking about coffee. I mean, had I just went and bought you a cup of coffee a week later, like we would not have been able to share that experience as long as we did. I'm glad to share that experience with you, Mr. Maher. So thank you. Darren, one thing about that video, I was proud of myself for mostly one reason. I remembered almost three pillars of small groups. Like, Dude, you, you were literally like, I'm not even going to say half a word off because was, the word you used was good. Yeah, It just wasn't the exact word. It was almost like a synonym. Like You were right there. That's spirit. I had no idea what I was talking about. It just flowed out. It was awesome. Uh, I, I looked over and saw Mark and all of his hints and narrative The glory. hope in his eyes. The hope in his the eyes. The tear began to run down his cheek. smile on his lips as he nodded his head in affirmation. <laughs> much twilight <laughs> too much twilight darren we are on the 1689 we are welcome to today's topic uh we are alternating our weeks one week we're going to be topical which by the way i forgot that i got a good idea for next week's talk remind me to tell you about that Ooh. when we're done i got no, a good one. drop it now come on drop it now oh super like it's hot pastoral tips like that after we preach we stand there with our hand out and people come up and give us money Okay, that's we one way to take tips. It. I'm not opposed to that. For the preaching. I actually brought that up one time to <laughs> someone in our church, and they said, oh, I got a tip for you. And I said, don't you dare say a word, because I know where this is going. No, that, that can go bad quickly. Yeah. But, you know, we do have buckets in the back. I'm just saying. Oh, gosh. If you want to go old school, old school. But, hey, uh, listen, we will encourage you. Any money you put in the bucket in the back of the room will go immediately to the general budget and be used for the growing of the kingdom of God. So go ahead. Absolutely. We don't touch it. Pastoral tips. <laughs> Literally, no. we literally don't touch it. Come up with uh, you know, just a few pointers for Christians. Oh, not not preachy. Not going to lecture anybody. Ooh. Just like through experience, through success and failure. Yeah, it's like what advice would you give to than... Christians out there? Just come up with a few ideas. But anyway, past tips from my pastor. Mostly you. I'm an idiot, but who tries? But anyway, we can we can work on that. Okay, okay, okay. So that might be coming up next week, or a version of it. I'm sure. Maybe maybe some of our faithful friends and listeners would have, like, they would say, hey, if I could get one piece of advice from you, it would be what topic? Yeah, because we did a, an episode a while ago of unsolicited <laughs> advice. We did. 
<laughs> giving out advice that nobody was asking for. <laughs> so maybe maybe we'll do the opposite. Give advice, you know, if y'all friends uh, who want some pointers, let us know. And so today. Today we're on the 1689. 2.2. Yes. Uh, 1689 on the uh, Holy Trinity, Yep, I believe. Darren, would you mind? Brace yourselves, friends. This is going to get... It sounds complicated, but if you read it twice, it is really not. Yeah, it's just a little wordy, but here we go. God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleases. In his sight all things are open and manifest, his knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. Whew. Okay, we're not done, but that one just hit me. Um, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience. As creatures, they owe unto the Creator and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. I'm going to start here with my commentary on that. Obviously, these 17th century theologians were just trying to express a, a, a statement of faith, what it is that they believe in, and they're addressing the concept, the biblical concept of who, what is God? And the terminology that they use is so grand and expansive. I love, I know it's complicated. It's not even a complex sentence. Like they need, they should have, I'm sure in the 17th century, they could have used periods better. I mean, the semicolons, I don't get it. The sentence itself is very complicated, but they're using terminology that is proving one fact over and over and over and over and over again. That is, man, God is infinite, bigger, than even words can explain. Words are simply symbols pointing to a larger idea. The words we have cannot even explain God. He's holy. He's outside of comprehension. It's like they're, it's the, it's the paradox here. It's like we can't even use words to explain God because words are symbols that pointing to a larger item that they're representing. But what these words are representing is so beyond comprehension. The only thing you're left with is holy, different beyond everything that we know. And Darren, like I said, my, my way to prepare for, for this this morning was just to read through that over and over and over and over again. And I made a few notes about what some of those improper sentences kind of mean. Well, so, yeah, can I ahead. real quick give what I would say is like a synopsis statement of the whole thing? Sure. I think this whole thing is pointing to God is God, we are not. He owes us nothing, we owe him everything. Because we talked about it the being that I think a lot of people are like, God created me. I didn't choose to be here. He created me, so he owes me. And it's like, no, no, he created you, therefore you owe him everything. He owes you nothing. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the first sentence just 
no, Darren, I, I'm completely on board. I think that is the the most straightforward, uh, current, modern way to say that. Because I'm right there with you. Because God is self sufficient. He does not need anything He created. He doesn't need anything He created, he which is, sets Him apart from like, is it like Zeus and those that those gods relied on the prayers of the people and the worship of the people in order to have yeah. more power. And God doesn't. God did not create us because he needed our worship. And you talk about a humbling statement. Like, it's hard for me to say, but it's, it's biblical. We're in an individualistic society. And there, man, Meaning? You get to choose what your reality is. It's an individualistic, postmodern, there are no absolute. Your life is what you make it. Yeah, it's it's self-centeredness. Yeah, everybody's here to progress you along. So here, here, let's go against the grain because it's biblical. We are created. We are creatures. We're created in God's image. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need Adam Bailey. Boy, it is humbling, isn't it? God doesn't need me. But listen, friends, but, ugh, like it's, it's humbling it's but uplifting. God doesn't need Adam Bailey. God doesn't need Darren Cherry. But he called us. Like, how humbling yet uplifting. And the same thing, and it was talking about, so the glory that his creation has, different creatures, including humans. Like, think about all God's creation. And I was thinking about this in the shower this morning after reading through this. Because we know, under, and understand, we preach it quite often, that God's character is most revealed in Jesus. Uh, it's revealed in creation to a you know, lesser degree. So for him, like we know that God is a beautiful God because look at creation. It's so beautiful. What he created, all the beautiful landscapes, the complex creatures, the most beautiful parts of humanity, the beautiful parts of them do not bring God glory. God instills his glory into those things to reflect attributes of himself. Right, so the Grand Canyon, which um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like I always go to the Grand Canyon, like the most beautiful, most awe-inspiring landscape. Well, when you stop and look at a, a picture-perfect starry night, it you're drawn to worship. Now, some people are drawn to worship the stars. Uh, some people are drawn to worship the universe. But Romans one talks about how we are, we are having God revealed to us through those things. When you stop and see, like. How many days now have has it been since we've seen the sun? Like, like we've had a lot of rain, a lot a of bit cloudy. Yeah, not like, a lot. but a know. day where the sun is just out, and there's times I just stop when the sun's out and just literally like close my eyes. I'm like soaking it up, and in those moments when I see the blue of the sky and that big sun, even some pretty clouds, it's like you're drawn into the beauty of it, and you're drawn into the worship of God. It's not so much that you're able to recognize the inherent beauty of something that's created. The reason you can recognize the beauty and the reason that there is glory to behold in those created scenes is because God instilled his own glory. Basically, the glory is not limited to what is created. All glory, anything beautiful, wonderful, worthy to be pondered upon, comes from God. It's like God's glory is is instilled in creation. Creation does not, 
He's not glorified because of his creation. He instills his glory in it. It's again that, so basically what that means practically, go back to the Grand Canyon. If I go to the Grand Canyon, look around and be like, okay, so what can I assume uh, about God because of this wonderful Grand Canyon? I'm going to use my knowledge, my infinite capacity to make what I believe to be a portrait. Instead of just being like, no, this has glory because God made it. Do you, you remember Sunday when I, it's actually up on my shelf, the little marble contraption mm-hmm. that I use as an example? The whole time I'm making that, and even to the point where I get it done, you know, Kelly, the boys come over and look at it. Uh, if I show it to, nobody is going to look at that and go, dude, you made that? It's like, no, no, I just put the pieces together according to the directions. The whole time I was putting that together, I'm like, the people that designed this, like, they're really good. They're really smart. And the different ways everything, like, I I preach. Yeah, I have it on my shelf, but nobody's looking at me going, dude, you are smart. You put this, like, I just follow the directions. The people that designed it, they're the ones that deserve the credit. And and I kept I the whole time I'm putting it together, I'm like, man, I could never design something like this. And so I'm led to the designer. Um, I'm not looking at it going, oh, yeah, what it's, a masterpiece. It's beautiful because you don't see the beauty in it. It's beautiful because it reflects the the glory of, of something bigger than that. Uh, next note that I have. Actually, Darren, do you want to go next since I or do you want me to expound upon it because mine gets really really simple from here um and it no, doesn't I, sound very nice <laughs> i think uh something to point out that makes god god is 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 his self-sufficiency um it's not just that he doesn't need glory from us or anything from us but it's just he consists in and of himself he he is sustained in himself for us we need oxygen we need food we need water um we need sleep we have to have these things provided. And Scripture talks about how God keeps everything together. Um, Jesus is holding everything together. And so we are only sustained as long as he sustains us. But he doesn't have it. He's sustaining enough of himself. And so uh, another thing that sets him as God above and beyond us is um, his lack of need of anything other than himself. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, we can, that's one of the things. We it, can't, can't comprehend that. Well, I wrote this down. Um, okay, so here, <laughs> logical fallacy that I'm changing from now on. Because I would say until meditating on the 1689, praying through it, of God knows everything, literally everything. That's a good statement. Past, present, future. How about this? God knows more than everything. Past, present, future, and beyond. He knows more than everything. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, a human thinks everything, and even our version of everything. A human version of everything is limited. God knows more than everything. Okay, A, I do not believe in a multiverse, but if there were a multiverse, he's not like the watcher who's just sitting there watching it all take place. He already knows all of it. Dude, he's got this. He's working it out. And I, okay, and, uh, you know, since we are created... According to 1689 and scripture, because the references are there if you all want to check it out. I forgot the name of the what, 1689? The1689confession.com. Thank you, Darren. Uh, since everything is under God's sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants with his 
creatures. Mm. Which I know. Okay, so someone's going to listen to this, and mm. I know what will happen. Someone is going to look at their life situation and understand because I do this and I have done this, and I will unfortunately fall victim to this in the future. So let me get this straight. God's in control of everything. Bad things are happening to me right now. Okay. Either How he's, is that a loving He's God? either not on my side or he's not real and I need to take control. How about this? Even in a bad situation, being like this bad, awful situation where I am probably the victim, it happened. God is in control and I trust him and I want to pursue him. And I want to maintain faith in that. And I think that's the hardest part because people see so much suffering in the world. I understand and it is prevalent. But it's like, what type of loving God would let, you know, you watch a St. Jude's commercial and it just breaks your heart. And it's like, what? Like, God, come on. Like, I, I'm looking at that and that is obviously wrong and something needs to be done. Uh, and he is doing something. I don't know the end game. It's just trusting in him, and he can do what he wants with his credit. And I, again, I'm using that as an excuse with sympathy and empathy as someone that had cancer as a child. Yeah, we don't know the end game of each little situation of what he's working in that in the moment. We know the end game, period, you know, is revelation. God wins. You know, justice is, you know, had. Evil is defeated. God's glory is shown, you know. But I'm always careful to tell people when we look at this that God does have dominion over us. He can do whatever he wants with us. He has no obligation towards anything. My life has been a fairly charmed life. I've had it fairly easy. Oh, did you just say fairly charmed? You cannot say that without me calling you out, knowing your love of 90s music. (laughs) Can now you can it's a now. semi-charmed kind of life. Um so <laughs> you knew I'd get that. Um it has been a semi-charmed kind of life. Uh so but also understanding <laughs> sorry. It's all right. It's the 90s. I I like going back to it. Uh he has no obligation towards us and and while my life has been pretty easy in a lot of respects it hasn't been but it he didn't owe me that. He, like, I don't look and go, listen, I accepted you, so now things have better go better for me. It's, it could have gone a lot worse, and I would owe him no less worship or allegiance for my life going worse. However, I want to make sure that we're clear that God is not up there going, right, I'm going to put these three people here like this and these two people here like this. Hey, Jesus, let's see what happens. He's not up there like us having being pawns on his chessboard and going, ah, let's just see how this goes. It's like, no, no. He is just, he is righteous, he is holy, he is good. And he is working all things as our as children of his, Christians, all things to our good and his glory. And he will exact justice. And so while we might think some things are like, this doesn't feel loving. He's doing something in it. That's the loving part, though, is that so if, as Scripture says, I, Adam, am a sinner. I, Adam, deserve hell. I've sinned. I've got sin in my life working on right now. I will mess up in the future. I'm the prodigal son, both of them. You know, 
and I and, and I, I take a moment and just reflect on my life right now. It's like, dude, I'm a you know a blind dude, cancer recovery person. I I have a great wife. I have a great home. We live very modestly. It's like, dude, I don't deserve all these good many many blessings. I'm so grateful for. I don't deserve them at all. But it's like, okay, so if God chooses to do with me as he may, and it's like, dude, I got a great family. I love this community in Lewisburg. I love this church. It's like, I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it because mm. if I had what I earned, it'd be bad. I, like, thank you. Like, you, you can do anything you want, and you're, you're, you're blessing me. Not because I earned it. So John Piper's whole life mission or goal, I don't his his thing is Christian hedonism. And his credo. Yeah. And do you remember what he says Christian hedonism is? It is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And and to your point with that and with what you were just saying, uh Kelly and I were talking about it recently where um the car she drives was given to us after my Subaru burst into flames, which I still have a video of is I was I found it humorous because I'm like, it's a car, I don't care. Um, I'm just glad nobody was hurt. <laughs> uh, the, that car has almost 250,000 miles on it. And so we don't really take it anywhere other than just around Greenberg County. Our van um, is at not even 100,000 miles on it. And we've had to put some money to it, but it's like we have no car payments. And we're looking at it going, we could afford a new car. We get something we like better. But then I stop and go, like, do you know why I don't need a new car? Because I'm content with where God has me now. Like, I'm content where I live. I'm content with the cars I drive. I'm content with the position he has me in here at the church. Like, and it's because God owes me nothing, and I'm not looking at him going, you know, I've been faithful to you now, God, for years. Why haven't you given me more? I just look at it and go, God, I've been faithful to you, and you have been way more faithful to me. And in, yeah, in the New Testament, two illustrations. One, Jesus and the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler follows all the commands, wants eternal life. He's like, hey, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? Jesus is like, follow the commands. He's like, yeah, I've done that. What else do I got to do? He's like, well, be unattached from worldly material. The guy was like, uh, no, can't do it. He left sad. But Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He's like, ah, so sad. But the guy ultimately got what he wanted, self-righteous, and he's got his stuff. That's exactly what he wanted. Versus the, the person in the parable about the treasure in the field where someone stumbles upon a treasure in a field, and they go sell everything they own to buy the land just to be with that treasure. It's like, are we willing to unattach ourselves from any worldly material self-gain, just unattach ourselves from it, so that way we can be with Christ? Or is it kind of like, you know, Jesus, uh, come into my life so I can have more prosperity as a tour guide? I want to, which, <clears throat> yes, you're blessed in those roles, but not by way of bottom line success the way I see it. It's more of a character success per se to where no matter what happens, like I still, you know, I sold all my stuff. I'm unattached from it. I got this treasure in this field and that's all I need. So 
take the car. Like, you know, we can still get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, it's the difference between the rich young ruler and the person that's willing to unattach themselves and just, like, I got this treasure. Nothing else matters. The toughest yeah. question ever posed that, that I have to wrestle with often, uh, checking my own heart. Again, John Piper posed it when he said, if you could go to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? And any self-respecting person would be like, listen, heaven without Jesus compared to hell? Yeah, I'd rather go to heaven. But then we start to dig in. Would we then just finish with, you know what? Whether Jesus is there or not, I'm looking forward to heaven. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Where, where does our worship, mm. you know, where is it going? Why do we love Jesus? You know, is it? Jesus, I love you because you got me out of hell. Or is it no, 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 Jesus? Yeah. That's that's where most people get. Um, yeah, and I so, mean, I was there. I was there for so long, and I wrestled with that because I'm like, it can't be right. There's got to be more to it than it's like, hey, I'm a Christian, which means I'm not going to hell when I die. But I still got how many? I don't know. I've still got time left on this earth. I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, yeah. And you know, that's yeah. It it took so long to understand that it's like, no, Jesus is heaven. And that's what I think. <laughs> When we, when we begin to see God for who he is, Jesus for who he is, not just what he's done, um, and the Holy Spirit brings that understanding, we begin to understand the hope we have in the future, in the life to come, in heaven. Um, but also we begin to understand the things around us more. Doesn't mean we won't wrestle like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? We'll wrestle, but we understand more. We trust God more. Mm-hmm. And you start looking for it, and then, it, okay, so this is a blessing. The other day I went to go buy a sandwich at my place of works cafe. I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'm allowed to plug or what. I was going to say, because nobody knows where you are. I work. don't know. I mean, you don't know where it was. But it, um, So I, I felt bad because I'm not supposed to stand in line when other I'm not a guest of this institution. I just work there. But I've covered up my name tag and everything, and I have my code on. So it was incognito. But somebody recognized me. I was like, oh, shoot. One of the workers was like, um, here, you can have this, and handed me a cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, thank you. Is it just like a regular cup of coffee? Like, oh, it's a caramel macchiato. But they left, and, and the machine was acting weird also. You can have it. And I was like, oh, man. It's like, thank you, Lord. Like, that's a good... Someone was nice. I actually told them, it was like, oh, thank you so much. It's like, um, I'm pretty sure whoever's at Heaven's Gate is going to be very similar to you. <laughs> That's what I said. And then another lady was like, but I was the one that made it. I was like, okay, I back up. Both of yins better be working at Heaven's Gate, handing out macchiato. Ooh, divine macchiatos. But that's not the point. So anyway, this idea of heaven mindset, like looking for the kingdom around you by having faith in God. You start seeing it, and you start seeing God at work, and you focus on that. You start seeing that much more vividly than if you have that more of a victim, entitled, self-centered, covetous mentality. Because there are some days, I mean, I fall victim to it, where it's like, I'm on my way to work. I can hardly see because the weather conditions are rough, and people are being rude, and traffic, and then I got to work, and I got in trouble. That's not fair. I don't deserve to be in trouble. And, oh, I don't want to do this thing I was just asked to do. It's not on my schedule. It's like, I'm so focused on the bad to where how much good is actually happening around me, but because I'm not tuned into it, I'm just missing it. 
compared to, you know, being prayed up and like, God, I want to experience you today. Like, oh, you gave me a cup of, I'm so grateful for that cup of coffee. It's unreal. Stuff like that like happens all the time. Like people going out of their way to show gratitude and kindness. It is out there. But that goes back to what but you and I said at the bean it. is um, there, there's two things. Orthodoxy, which is what you believe, and orthopraxy, which is what you practice. It's what you do. Clever. And having a, a proper orthodoxy, having a proper view of God, a biblical view of God, will change the way you live. And so when you look at God, your hope is not in what you can achieve in this life, but in life to come. Then things that happen to you, you're like, that, that's this life. And I know my, my ultimate life is in the life to come face-to-face with God. And so we begin to see things differently. And it starts with the right view of God. Yeah, he is infinite, all-knowing, all-sovereign, in control of everything, created everything. Like, if anything, I hope this podcast, Darren, friends, leads you to be like, man, it's like the 1689 says, it's like any, any creation that's able to worship, serve, in any capacity should make God the object of their passion. Friends, have you made it this far? <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> we, we really do appreciate you all. Always give us your feedback. Until then, you're awesome. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day.